0: As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your
1: vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. Work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
0: Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley. Thank you for tuning in. Before we get started this week, I just wanted to give you a quick heads up. Before we get to uh, the show, there's a discussion on here about a traumatic personal injury uh, that some folks may find upsetting. So if you're at all squeamish, maybe hit pause and then have a quick gander at the show notes before proceeding. Now, let's get to it. Yo,
1: technology. What is it all about? If you create something really successful, guarantee you 100% it's going to get ripped off. Even if it's a very complicated product, people are going to make a bad ripoff. And if you're not on top of shutting them down and defending your IP, you cannot create a brand in 2020. It's not possible.
0: Hello, everyone. We are back for another week. I am back from holiday. I spent a glorious week in Lake Tahoe. Swimming in the lake and trying to keep my boys from throwing sand in each other's eyes, which is super fun. But generally, it was glorious. But now we're back, and we have a really fascinating show for you this week. And it is a bit of a, in a similar vein of last week's episode where we caught up, um, you may recall, with Paddy Cosgrave after his previous appearance on the program. We're doing that again, though this one goes much, much further back, years In fact, as you'll soon hear. And the journey of Ryan Pamplin, who is this week's guest, is packed with tons of lessons for really anyone. So Pamplin, he's the founder of a company called Blendjet, which makes a portable USB chargeable blender that he has built as a really a direct consumer brand entirely via the internet and he's really pulling all the levers so facebook instagram ads all that stuff even influencers using influencer marketing all that so as a business it's a really interesting study in just how you build something entirely online but also the story how pamplin ended up getting into blenders of all things is even more interesting and harrowing frankly. So, I don't want to spoil it for you, but I think you'll find this one both really interesting and uh, inspiring. So, without further ado, I give you Ryan Pamplin, the co-founder of Blendjet. Enjoy. A lot has happened since we last spoke. I think you were guest number two on my podcast. So, when I started doing this two and a half years ago, you were, you were number two or number three. I can't remember. I know you were in the in the first three uh, because we kind of, we kind of figuring out who was going to go where. But so you were here right at the beginning. So first of all, your you know your podcast, Danny in the Valley, OG. So thanks. Of
1: course, thank you for having me. You know, there's not a lot of podcasts. I'll be honest. A lot of people ask me, especially in the last six months, to do podcasts. I haven't said yes to anybody. The only person I said yes to is you because I actually like your podcast. I listen to your podcast. It's good. (laughs) A lot of these, I'm like, "Uh, you know, thank you. Appreciate it. It's very nice of you. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, you have interesting conversations, interesting people, interesting perspective. So um, it's a great honor to be a part of it again.
0: Well, thank you. Well, so this is why I wanted to have you on. So two and a half years ago, you were working at Meta. Indeed. I had just come back to the Valley and was really intrigued by this whole AR thing and the kind of possibilities. And obviously things, as is so often the case, things have gone a bit differently and a bit slower than expected. So I don't know if it makes sense to to get to where we are today and what you're doing today, if it makes sense to talk about, okay, there you're working at Meta. You guys had raised a bunch of money and you're going to bring AR to the world Let's pick up from there, and then we can get to present day.
1: Yeah, so uh, I was at Meta, I was the evangelist, I was in all the meetings with all of the, you know, most important people in the world who are all dying to see this technology. You know, I got to give keynotes with Bob Iger and Steve Wozniak, and I think I can say this now, got to spend time with Tim Cook, you know, I mean... It was a Silicon Valley dream come true. I got to meet Steven Spielberg and show him the technology and get in a deep conversation about how it could be used in filmmaking. I mean, you couldn't couldn't really have had a more unbelievable journey than what I got to go through there. And we built unbelievable technology, stuff nobody had ever seen, stuff that would make – I mean, we made Robert Scoble cry. You know, he said it was the most important thing since the introduction of the Macintosh, and, you know, I think it was a very profound moment in technology history. And, you know, when I joined, I mean, it was, we they were a Y Combinator. They just kind of got it, you know, got going and raised a little money. We raised a lot of money. By the time I left, it was over $100 million, And we were about to raise a lot more. There's actually an article in Bloomberg hmm. that came out about how money got blocked by the government because it was coming from China. It was kind of the beginning of the trade war. So that was supposed to be the Series C. And now
0: when was that? 2016, 2017,
1: something like that. And um, I'm bad with time. But what I had happened to me, unfortunately, was during sort of the peak of, of all of this, I was in my parking garage where I lived in Oakland. And my car is parking itself. And I'm watching it park itself. Because you have
0: a Tesla, presumably. Of course. Yeah. I mean, come on. It's
1: another requirement to live here, you know, and be a true technologist. You have to buy a Tesla. Uh, If you would have just bought, you know, one share of the stock, you could buy a mansion now. Uh, I know. I held on for a long time. I bought very early and then I waited until it got to almost a thousand and then I sold and now I don't look at it because it hurts. Yeah. But... The car was parking itself. I was in a rush. I was running backwards, and I wasn't really looking where I was going, and I flipped around, and I ran full speed into a concrete pillar uh, with my head, and I cracked it open, and I Ooh. fell on the ground, and I thought, actually, that I slipped in oil, and my phone flew out of my hand. My glasses flew off my face, and I got up, and I, I was like, oh, what an idiot. Somebody like had their car leak oil everywhere, and I slipped in it, and then I realized this giant human plus size puddle is blood. Oh my so God. I realize, okay, I am in trouble. So I touch my head and it's all squishy. And I'm like, oh no, this is bad. So I just start running to the front desk because there's a doorman in the building. So I run up to the doorman and they go, you're pranking us, you're pranking us. I go, I'm not pranking you. This is, you know, this is an emergency. Get, get first aid kit. I need to wrap my head. I knew I yeah. had to put pressure. So I wrapped it up, um, you know, with their help. I made a very... I made like a very serious point in my mind. Do not look in a mirror. I did not want to see visually what had happened to me because I knew that would be like traumatizing forever. So uh, my friend pulled up and we went in his car and he rushed me to the hospital. I called my then girlfriend. She's now my wife, Catherine, who also works at Blanchett, called her. She had just upgraded from Beverly Hills to Oakland. (laughs) <laughs> and yeah, it's all right to laugh. You don't really have to be from here to know that's not Indeed. actually the upgrade that I'm purporting it to be. Yeah, But you know, she really loved me and still does. And she upgraded. And then a month into it, I call her and go, yeah, I'm on the way to the hospital. I just had an accident. She's like, don't worry, you'll be fine. You know, you sound fine. So I get to the hospital. I say to my buddy "You drove me to the hospital, do you think I'm going to be okay? He goes, I don't think so. And I said, "What? You're not supposed to say that. No, you know, don't lie. Not supposed to say that. Lie to me." So I'm in the emergency room. I'm waiting, and you know, Catherine gets there. She comes in and she sees me, and she just starts bawling. And I'm just like, "Oh, great.
0: You know, now, now I'm worried." This feels like such a freak thing, though, because if you're just, it's not like you, you weren't running. It doesn't sound like. Well, I was running. I was in a rush.
1: I was. I was. The truth is, it was a T-Mobile Tuesday. I was going to go see a free movie, thanks to T-Mobile, oh my and I was going to be late to the movie, so I was running, and I was running kind of backwards, because I also was worried the car might slam into the wall, which would have cost me more than the free movie ticket I would have missed out on. Indeed. So, yeah, it was a very freak thing. It was really dumb, and, you know, I I get stitched up, and the doctor does the thing with the finger and goes, oh, yeah, can you see how many fingers, blah, 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 Okay, you're fine. Go home, take a few days off. This is a Thursday. Take Friday off. Take the weekend. Go back to
0: work Monday. You'll be fine.
1: Okay, so I go back to work
0: on Monday. So did you have like you, you had stitches on your forehead?
1: Yeah, right here. You can't really tell on, on the webcam, but no. I had my whole eyebrow basically from here to here got slit open, and it wasn't like a like a squiggly sort of thing. It was like a clean break because it was the, yes. the, the the pressure of the slam into the pole. So. Anyway, those things bleed a lot. Um, And, you know, they were like, yeah, you're going to be fine. No big deal. Right. So then weekend goes by. I pretty much just lay around. I don't really do anything. So I can't really tell if I'm having any problems and, you know, just seemed okay. Monday, I get in the car to drive to work. I'm on the San Mateo Bridge because I'm driving from Oakland to San Mateo. Yeah. And all of a sudden, everything just starts spinning visually like I'm wasted. I have nothing, I have, I don't even have caffeine in my body, you know, I don't know what is going on. My heart rate starts freaking out, you know, I feel like my heart's beating on my chest and then I feel like I'm going to faint and fortunately I'm in autopilot, which is fantastic at this time because I would have really needed to pull over and that's not a great, you know, place to pull over on the bridge. No. So I, I fortunately get off the highway uh, to the meta office, which is, you know, right, right uh, after the bridge at the time. So I call my wife and I just say, hey, there's something wrong with me. I don't know what is going on. This is this is really alarming. And she said, you know, you probably just need some sleep or rest. You know, just come home and, and just relax or try to lay down in your office. And I said, I don't think I can drive home. You know, I don't know what's going on. So I go up to my office and I see, um, you know, our executive assistant and she looks at me and she goes, "Uh, you look like death. Mm. And I said... I actually didn't say anything. I just, I, I actually fell over uh, into a beanbag that was conveniently placed nearby. And then they took me to the hospital and uh, it took about five doctors. And finally I got to a neurologist and yeah. I'd seen a sports medicine doctor that said, oh, you don't have anything wrong with you. You know, you're just stressed. And I was like, I don't think so. I've never had these kinds of problems. I had this head injury. I'm pretty sure, you know, something is related to the head injury. The neurologist eventually says, okay, you have very severe post-concussive syndrome, and this could take two weeks or two years to go away. This is not an area we have a lot of conclusive sort of medical understanding. So, you know, you can do physical therapy, but the main thing is you need to go home. You need to avoid reading. You need to avoid deep thinking. No watching TV, no looking at your phone, no using a computer, no work, no phone calls. Just give your brain time to relax and, you know, recover.
0: Basically no stimulation of any kind.
1: Yeah, indefinitely until you feel better. And we can, you know, periodically have calls, you know, or visits together and, and, you know, I'll evaluate you and
0: tell you when I think you're good to go back that sounds very that that prospect of one not being able to do anything and not knowing that okay this will be you know a week or two weeks or even a month not knowing that must have been
1: Danny i thought i was going to die you know legitimately every day i thought this is it i would go to sleep at night and i would lose my consciousness at night like sometimes i would feel so messed up that everything would just be like disorienting for me like my vision i've seen double vision a lot i was seeing things spinning around i was feeling just wrong it just my senses weren't computing correctly and it's so hard to even put into words what was happening but at night sometimes i would just be losing it i'd be looking at Catherine and saying good night and i would be thinking in my head this this might be it this might be the last time and i literally could not keep my eyes open If I wanted to they would just shut and my body would shut down. I couldn't move and I just felt like I was in you know, I was in this this terrible sort of purgatory Because I wasn't myself. I couldn't comprehend or think straight And I couldn't see a path to getting back to a point that I could have a conversation with you like this And I kept saying to people who are really smart people you know, my my wife's uh, mother is uh, is a very smart lady She's not a medical doctor, but she's a doctor and, uh, you know, professor at Yale. So I would ask her. She seemed authoritative. I would say, do you think I'm really going to get better? And she would say yes. And, and it was like people telling me that I was going to get better that made me believe that I would eventually get better. Mm. But there were many moments where I was just incapacitated. I wasn't myself. And it wasn't clear if it was ever going to get better. And then when I would start to feel better, we would do something like go watch a movie, you know, maybe six months later. And we would think, oh, he's fine. And then my Apple Watch would like bing, you know, my wrist and be like, oh, your heart rate is going crazy. And my heart rate would go to like 140 and then drop down to 60. And I would feel like I'm going to have a heart attack. And then I'm going to feel like I'm going to faint. And it just took about a year. So I was on medical leave. Like it wasn't an option. I was on, you know the mandated medical leave from the doctor and during that time meta got acquired which was you know bittersweet because i really wanted to go back but at the same time i couldn't and obviously then after the company got acquired then i really couldn't but i think you know for me this left me in a place where i absolutely was determined as i was starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I was determined to get better and determined to do something to make up for what happened. Not just for myself, but for my my wife, my then, you know, girlfriend who was going to become my wife and I just had to I had to make up for all that time because she just spent the last year taking care of me after yeah. moving, giving up her whole life and then I had this really exciting thing I was doing in life. You know, you come you come off of a high of sharing a stage with some of the tech luminaries and then you you become someone who you know literally stirs a pot in the kitchen and that's like the most exciting thing you do in a day right you got to go back and do something great and i think my motive changed i i no longer cared
0: about money i was gonna say so so you were in this world i mean you were kind of as you say kind of living the tech slash silicon valley dream so when you start to come out of this are you kind of different in terms of how you think oh, yeah. about what you want to do, how you want to spend your time, all that, like what's important, all that kind of stuff?
1: People, number one, period. That's it, right? If you don't have people that you love and that love you and that care about you and that you enjoy spending time with, then you're wasting your life. So find your people. That was my number one thing. And I and I had Catherine, so that was great. And then I just realized that anybody I ever work with ever again, I have to love them. You know, I have to really care about them. They have to care about me. We got to have a deep connection. And I, you know, look, I created software for measuring video ads on the internet prior to Meta, which was yeah. very successful, got acquired. It's great. But at the end of the day, do I want to help McDonald's sell more hamburgers? I mean, I'm a vegan. It doesn't even align with my personal values. Not really. So do I ever want to sell out ever again and do something that I don't truly have my heart in?
0: No, I don't. Did you think you were selling out, though, while you were selling out? In other words, I mean, was that something that you thought about? Yeah, well, it's fine. If I did it again, I would have sold out. So
1: before that, I ran a creative agency. I made TV commercials. I had a Super Bowl ad. I had, you know, Emmy nomination, things like that. So my clients were Fortune 500s. I got to know the CMOs of big brands. And the CMOs would say, well, we can't move budget from, you know, TV to digital video because we can't measure it. So Mm. I had a problem that I personally faced, which really irritated me, which... I was like, come on, it's so obvious. Digital is infinitely more measurable than TV. And they were like, well, no, it's not. So I I guess in a way I was solving my own problem. So at the time I was very passionate about it. I know the formula to build an ad tech company. If I want to make a bunch of money, I could go build an ad tech company again, but there wouldn't be a real problem that I'm personally experiencing that I'm solving. So it would be just a sellout. So I think for me, what I figured out is I, I never really faced death. Like, you know, I'm I'm in my 30s. Most people, hopefully, at this point in their life have not really encountered death or thought they could die. When it happened to me, it was unexpected. It removed that sort of innate sense of invincibility that Mm -hmm. I think many humans have. And it made me value every moment of every day in a very different way. And it made me feel like my time is limited, and I really don't want to spend it doing anything that is not incredibly beneficial to the world, to other people. You know, I really ideally don't want to do something that takes away from other people. I would like to just do things that help other people. And, and really at the core, I kind of summed it up as, I want to do something that helps people live longer and healthier lives. And if I can figure out a way to have a business that does that, using all of my know-how from everything I've ever done, I feel like that would be the best thing I could do for myself that I would be really excited about, something I could focus on that would take my attention off of symptoms that I'm feeling. And I didn't know what it was, but I knew that's what I was going to do.
0: And so Meta gets sold while you're on leave. That's right. And how is that? being like, well, okay, because I don't know, how long were you at Meta? Two plus years. Yeah. And I gave up
1: a quarter of the equity of my acquisition from my previous company because I left six months early. Tony Shea, Zappos Mm -hmm. CEO, was an investor in Meta and actually really inspired me because I read his book, Delivering Happiness, which is fantastic. Yeah. And I read his book and I was like, all right, I'm going to leave my own company post-acquisition and I'm going to give up this quarter of equity because... I got to join Meta and it was early and I still had a big opportunity to take on a big role and and help them raise and help them demo and help them do all of the things that could turn that into um, a pivotal moment in technology history. And I think, you know, we did, right? There's a movie being made now. That's fantastic. I think it's called the rollout. I don't know what it's going to be called, but it's a movie about Meta and there were these filmmakers, Iran and Daniel who had a company called Robot Genius that was in Israel and they had made this movie. Oh yes, I think you showed I think you showed me some footage of this way back in the day. Yeah, so they they moved. They had made like a a video that had gone viral about AR kind of dystopian style and they actually are making that into a feature length movie. That was something they put on Kickstarter recently that was successfully funded or Indiegogo, one of those. And that movie is coming out and then they also have all the footage that they acquired from Meta because they were the resident filmmakers and they filmed everything that happened for years. So there's a feature-length documentary that's going to be coming out showing the inside story of what really happened. So that oh, interesting. is going to be
0: really cool. I'm very excited to see that. But And I want to get to Blendjet and what you're doing now, but just to kind of cover off AR, I think when we got here, when we first met... It felt like kind of AR was like the thing that was coming. And three years later, it's the thing that is coming. Well, is it the thing that's
1: coming or is it here?
0: So I'll say to the man in the street, it doesn't feel here. Well, I'm going to show you why
1: it's here. So I'm on my iPhone. Yeah. I click Amazon. Yeah. Right. You can't really see my screen, but I click Amazon and now I type in, um, you know, TV tray. Right. TV trays for eating. All Right. So there it is. Yeah. Now I'm going to pick this random $42 TV tray.
0: Okay.
1: And what is that? It says view in your room. And you know what I do? I hit view in your room. And now what happens? I see, I don't know if you can see it, but do you see the TV tray sitting in my room? Right
0: over yes, there? Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. AR is here. It's on Amazon. It's on a stupid TV tray. You know, so here's a practical application from one of the biggest companies in the world. And I actually used this exact dumb feature with my wife for this dumb product that I actually embarrassingly wanted to buy. You know, you can't hate me if I want to eat food while I watch 90 Day Fiance on TLC
0: with my wife. (laughs) Is it a joke? Is it true? You'll never know. But it does feel like it's still kind of a niche thing. Do we think that's ever going to kind of break into our lives in a way that, you know, it could or that you were hoping for back in the day? I mean,
1: I hear you saying it's niche, but Amazon is something that more people use than any other site to shop online. And they have the largest library of 3D AR content that I've seen. And it's a very practical thing to put a piece of furniture in my living room. You know, Wayfair has this. I mean, at the end of the day, I think I I probably said to you at one point, since we've known each other, that I felt Apple was going to win AR. I still believe that. And if you look at LinkedIn, you'll see that the majority of people formerly at Meta who are not still at Meta, which by the way, continues to exist. The majority of those people are at Facebook and they're at Apple. Right. What do you think they're doing there? Right. Well, we shall see. We will. And I mean, inevitably, inevitably, Apple's coming out with AR, of course. And Apple already has AR on the phone. And when it's good enough on the phone and the use cases are good enough, we'll we'll see their hardware. You know, they're in no rush, but inevitably Apple's going to release AR and it's going to be fantastic. And we're all going to be like, oh, yeah, this is how it should work. But they're not going to they don't have to be first. And if they are first, it'll be because they figured out all the use cases that are the best first. But Tim Cook is very, very bullish on AR. He believes, personally, that AR is the next paradigm of computing.
0: The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers. Airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com/trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, we continue to wait with bated breath, but you are no longer in that world. I'm not. And it's You do you do blenders.
1: I do. I do do blenders. So how
0: do you go from so you have this kind of life-altering pretty harrowing experience? You leave behind this other world that you'd been operating in for years. So how do you get into blenders?
1: Great question. So I did smoothies and I did protein shakes every day as part of my recovery. So I got really into the smoothies and, you know, I needed protein and I needed the nutrients to get better. And actually, I used to run a smoothie recipe website that was very popular many
0: years ago. Oh, so you've been like a smoothie enthusiast for a long time.
1: I, you know, I, I have some smoothies I enjoy. If you're listening and you're looking for a good smoothie, I recommend blueberries, banana, turmeric, almond milk or oat milk with a little bit of maple syrup,
0: maybe a couple ice cubes. There you go. That's my, that's my go-to. That's my favorite. I might try that. That actually sounds quite good. And I think we have all of those ingredients in our kitchen.
1: Well, it is very good. Uh, So, you know, I was doing smoothies every day, and I was using a big blender, and it was important to me because I was doing it for the health benefit, and obviously it tastes good, but more than anything, I wanted the nutrients. And I was cleaning this big blender every day, and it was really annoying to do. And it's like, no matter how hard you clean it, it just never gets totally clean. And you can't really put it in the dishwasher. So I was... A little frustrated with that, but didn't think too much about it. Then I started talking to my buddy, John, John Zhang, who's my co-founder of Blinjet. And I taught John Facebook ads when it was first in beta, like a decade ago. Mm -hmm. And I just sat with him and helped him set up his first campaign when I was running my creative agency. And he ended up going off and starting his own agency. And he helped launch ads for Uber, Glassdoor, Adam Tickets, a bunch of Disney movies, spent a fortune on the Facebook and Instagram ad platform. Mm. And then when we reconnected, he said, hey, I'm so glad you're getting better. What are you going to do next? And my wife had planted this idea in my head when she heard about John. She said, you should work with him. So without even thinking about why I said it, I said, oh, I'm going to work with you. And he goes, you are? And I said, yep. And he said, what are we going to do? And I said, we're going to help people live longer and healthier lives. And he said, wow, that is profound. Like how do we do that? Yeah. And I said, well, look, you clearly understand the modern ad ecosystem. We could crush it with a direct to consumer brand. All that matters to me is is my health and trying to help other people with their health. But I don't think health is super marketable. I think the real thing that's marketable is convenience. Yeah. And we started talking about, well, what could we make that would help people with their health? And he said, well, I go to the gym every day and I go to Jamba Juice every day after the gym and I use Jamba Juice to get my protein because I just get a smoothie with protein added in. And it's like seven bucks every day. And I said, you know, wow, that's that's a lot of money to spend on that. I said, I make mine, you know, in my blender at home every day. And he said, well, you know, if, if I could just like snap my fingers and there'd be a smoothie, that'd be that'd be magic. And I was like, well, why couldn't there be? Why don't we just make a portable blender? If we can build a holographic computer, certainly you can build a portable blender. And he said, do you really think we could make that? And I said, absolutely, of course. No question. I can think of all the parts that would be required to make this. So we we put together the team. We bring in my wife to, you know, be our head of customer experience we bring in uh, another buddy of ours, Brian Zook, who is our director of operations, now our VP of operations, and those are our that's our four founding team members. And Brian studied, got his MBA, and then studied in China as well. So it was perfect. We said, Brian, you know, here's a very bad drawing of what we want to make. Can you please go find a factory that can actually turn this into a real product? And he said, uh, Sure, of course. Uh, and he interviewed 75 different manufacturing partners and found an incredible partner. And, you know, this is 2017. And then by June of 2018, we have our first 7,000 units and we then film an ad on my iPhone with Catherine, uh, who used to be a commercial actress, uh, in LA. So that was very helpful. And we end up, uh, launching the ads and we sell out within the first three weeks then by the end of 2018, we had over 100,000 customers in 100 countries. Then the Ellen Show had us on. You were actually on Ellen. Our product was on Ellen. Uh, wow. Then we were on the Kelly Clarkson show. We were in the last season of Silicon Valley on HBO, which was my favorite thing that's ever happened.
0: Were they were they taking the piss out of you guys? Presumably. Fortunately,
1: they were not. They just had it on all the desks, and the people were you know using them in the background, and then they had a couple close up shots with it, so that was cool
0: how did you swing that though that like a
1: product placement like that totally organic not paid at all they just reached out and said hey can we have this product can you send us product and we said yes
0: very simple that is very simple
1: yeah we do have a uh a rep firm for product placement now but they they do not um we don't pay for product placement we just basically pay the rep firm to like you know offer the product to to tv shows and movies and stuff like that yeah so now uh we've just continued to grow and we're actually now over a million customers in nearly every country in the world we're a top facebook advertiser we are big on instagram we're actually the biggest blender brand now bigger than any of the traditional brands on instagram by what metric followers engagement right And, you know, it's kind of a, we have a lot of patents as well. We filed 38 patents on our technology. We have many essential patents granted on our technology, on our concept. And um, we have some really exciting things on the roadmap that I would love to tell you about, but I'm not supposed to tell you yet. But, you know, keep your eyes peeled. There's some really cool things coming. I I think at the end of the day, Blanchette One is a really amazing MVP, right, the concept of a portable blender, turning that into a real product and finding this kind of product market fit, there's nothing in the world that I could be doing that's more fulfilling. You know, to have a product that people are getting and essentially, I think the option is this, right? People are like, oh, you're competing with blender brands, but not really, in my opinion. I actually think I'm competing with McDonald's. I think that I'm competing with convenient food. And I think at lunchtime, the question is, do you go through the drive-thru or do you make a smoothie? And I think we've literally made it easier and more convenient to make a smoothie than to get in your car and drive through McDonald's. And I think that is the biggest win of my life.
0: Why? Because you can just go through a Safeway, pick up some fruit and vegetables or whatever, throw it in there with some water. Bang, you have a beverage that is healthy.
1: Yeah, totally. And most people have
0: frozen fruit
1: or they have fruit in their fridge or in a basket on their, you know, table. Uh, And then we also created something else we call... Jetpack, which is our ready-to-blend smoothie. We created that actually in partnership with people that created one of the most iconic coffee-based beverages in the world, and that team is exceptional. We're able what to...
0: coffee-based beverage is that?
1: <laughs> I don't know if I'm supposed to say what that is, but you can imagine uh, a certain large company that has a certain iconic beverage that you might be able to think of in your mind but but, the, but these are basically
0: I, pouches that you just throw in some water and it's ready. that's
1: right but it's real fruit no one had ever done this no one had ever done freeze-dried fruit before and the thing about freeze-dried fruit is it locks in all the nutrients it locks in the color the texture the flavor so it, it's actually in a way fresher than fresh fruit because it's freeze-dried it's picked at peak ripeness, and then freeze-dried immediately. And it locks in all the best qualities versus fruit that is in transit for weeks before it gets to you and then sits in your fridge for a couple days or maybe a week, and then you eat it. So we're kind of giving you this ideal smoothie every time. And it's really affordable. We launched it on QVC in 2019 and sold over a million dollars of it in a bundle on the first day. Uh, So that's been a
0: hugely successful product. And Well, that's what I was going to ask you about. So I think it's there's a couple of interesting things here. There's one, there's the social media direct-to-consumer brand aspect of things, which I think I'm fascinated by because I feel like a lot of it is really crappy stuff that is being sold by very slick ads. Because we've bought probably three or four things like that I found on Instagram like, ooh, that looks very cool. And then it arrives and it is crap. And the, com- the company behind it is actually just a very slick website, but there's no human that you can ever reach. You can't return it. It's just like it's all a ruse, and it's very frustrating. But I'd be interested to get a perspective on, one, that like operating in that world and how powerful or not it can be versus TV, like QVC. Like my brother had an invention years ago, and his one spot on QVC was the thing that sold 90% of his stuff.
1: Yeah, so I would say that direct-to-consumer is uh, having its moment, and I believe it is the future of how brands will be born, and I think that's actually what's already happening today. You know, you look at movement, I would say they were a big pioneer of sort of direct-to-consumer through Facebook these and Instagram. These are the the
0: watches, you mean?
1: Yep, the watches. Really nice watches, now owned by Movado, actually. So they sold, I think, for $100 million. Uh, It was two brothers that started it. And you know the product quality actually in the beginning was, was fine, but now it's super good. So it's interesting how some of these D2C players start and over time the product actually improves. And I think that's kind of true of any startup. That is a true startup there are the cash grabs, there are the drop shippers who go on Alibaba and find some piece of garbage and then buy like a really high end product and make a video of it and then mail you the piece of garbage and they don't even mail it, they drop ship it from China. That needs to stop. And, you know, it's doing bad things to people's perception of, you know, do I trust this ad? and And do I trust Facebook as a platform? You know, if people are being misled by garbage like that, How many times are you going to get burned before you decide you're not going to make another
0: purchase, even if it looks like a great product? Exactly. So like I am now much more cautious, especially I've just personally, this is just anecdotal, had some bad experiences via Instagram ads. I don't really buy stuff off Instagram anymore. Um, And if I do buy stuff that I don't know about previously, I do like 14 different cross checks on Amazon and reviews and everything else to make sure that it's actually a real thing because it does feel like there's a whole movement to these direct consumer brands online leveraging the ability to target people and all that stuff that digital advertising brings but it does feel like it's a little it feels a little wild westy still it it is very wild westy and you know i mean
1: one annoying problem is you know we invented this we you know have patents on this we have trademarks in dozens of countries around the world And people use our name and they basically create fake ads saying Blendjet and then trying to sell people our product and they don't have our product. So what people actually get is a really bad Chinese knockoff of the product.
0: Yeah. And is there anything you can do about that? Because I know that, like, for example, Amazon has this counterfeit problem. Is there anything you can do as a brand or is it just because... I know like Birkenstocks has also had a big problem where, you know, people are selling knockoff Birkenstocks and like this is a 130 year old company known for its quality. And all of a sudden you have a bunch of crappy imposters. That's a real problem.
1: It is a real problem. We have dedicated people on staff who shut people down every day. So we send 50 plus takedown notices per day. We're 99.9% successful. We have a really great plus a day, 50 plus a day it's crazy. Most of them are Shopify sites or Amazon sellers or eBay sellers or Facebook or Instagram advertisers pretending to be us or having some derivative of our product that infringes on our IP. So if you create something really successful, guarantee you 100% it's going to get ripped off. Even if it's a very complicated product, people are going to make a bad ripoff. And if you're not on top of shutting them down and defending your IP, you cannot create a brand in 2020. It's not possible. Wow. That's intense. It's, it's a struggle. But at the end of the day, do I want to put, you know, all my resources into defending IP? Of course. But at the same time, am I going to go fight in court and win against all these, you know, scam artists? Uh, you know, I could. But you know what I'd rather do is I'd rather spend my money on product innovation and just be
0: 10 steps ahead. And that's what we're doing. On this point around building a brand... And doing it direct to consumer. Because I'm thinking now about Facebook and Instagram in particular. You know, you've had this big ad boycott, a thousand big brands say, no, you know, stop profiting from hate, etc. It was a big story. We covered it a lot. And then Facebook comes out and says, actually, we've added a million advertisers to our network.
1: Yeah. The big guys getting off frees up the inventory for the little guys.
0: Yeah, can you just talk about how if is that still, or how powerful is that as a channel for you trying to, like, build a brand online? It's the most powerful. If you don't have it, you don't have a brand. You can't
1: build a brand without it. It's not possible right now. Maybe if the world was open, and you could go places, and there's other channels for people to discover things in, then great, but... People are not going in stores and discovering new products. If you go in a store today, you are on a mission to get the things that you need and get out and not get COVID. For sure. So, you know, product discovery in stores is normally a great thing. And look, Blendjet is in 50 plus different retail, major retailers around the world, including many, many top tier retailers like the Selfridges of the world. We're also in CVS. We have 100% sell-through in every retailer. It's not because people go there and they discover Blendjet. It's because they already have seen it online, and they just are like, oh, should I buy it? Shouldn't I? I don't know. But then they see it in person. Maybe they got burned, like you did, on an ad before, and they don't trust ads now. So now they see it in person, and it's very low friction to put it in their cart. So retail crushes it as an extension for when you do a lot of advertising direct-to-response through Facebook and Instagram. At the end of the day, there's a very simple way to determine where ad dollars are going to go. Where are eyeballs? Wherever eyeballs are, ad dollars will follow. And you don't have a choice as an advertiser. If people are spending the majority of their time on a channel, think think about it, right? People spend more time on Facebook than television. Yeah. It used to be that TV was, you know, the channel as a brand that you had to be on. And if you weren't on that channel, you're dead. How could you even exist as a brand? That's the equivalent now. These big brands saying, oh, I'm not going to be on Facebook. That's like being like, well, we're not going to be on television anymore. You know, I mean, Facebook is, I believe, Facebook is not trying to do anything wrong. They're not intentionally writing the algorithm to be biased in ways that promote hate or violence or any of the terrible things that surface on the platform. They often have said, especially in the early days, that they're a utility, Mm -hmm. right? Television is a utility. Facebook wants to be a utility. As a brand, I don't have a choice. I have to be on there. Do I want to be next to anything that is... Brand unsafe or or goes against my personal values or morals. I absolutely do not. And I think as a brand, we want to do what's right for people. And we certainly don't want to support bad organizations. I don't think Facebook is a bad organization. I don't necessarily agree with all the decisions that they make. I don't think everything they do is right, but they have an enormous amount of responsibility and power because they control so much of people's time and yeah. their algorithms are deciding what people are seeing. You're never going to please everyone. It's impossible. But at the same time, that's where everybody's attention is. So we have to be present there.
0: What a, and how does that compare to the other channels? Or is it like you're not even going there like Google, like YouTube, like TikTok? Yeah. Like so, Snapchat? So we're,
1: we're on all those channels. Facebook and Instagram are definitely the biggest. We are one of the biggest advertisers on uh, Pinterest as well, which is very—it's mm. a very good channel, high quality. It just doesn't have the inventory. They don't have yeah. as many people, as many impressions. People don't spend as much time on there. TikTok is really a great channel for getting lots of engagement and views, but people don't buy stuff on TikTok. They don't convert. They're young. <laughs> young, They're young, young people with no money. Yeah, and, and also, I'll say, you know what I've come to learn about Gen Z? I'm a millennial. What I've come to learn about Gen Z is is that they don't want shiny, crispy, perfect ads. They want rough around the edges, acne on the face. They want to see the real grit. And ads today that do that don't really exist. And maybe they do, but I'm not Gen Z, so I'm not targeted by them. But if you took that same kind of appeal and you tried to appeal to everyone it's not going to happen so you kind of have to it it took a long time for advertisers to figure out how to appeal to millennials and the same thing is happening now with gen z and i i believe you know as a person who's been a brand marketer for most of my career in one way or another i believe that gen z is going to be labeled as sort of the the authentic generation right and i think it's very hard to fake that so the people who are going to become very successful in Gen Z are probably people who actually are genuine people.
0: Right. And just in terms of going back to like the business side of things, have you raised money? And is the long shadow or sh- or the shadow of Juicero a thing that you would ha- you've had to deal with ah. in investor conversations?
1: Yeah, I-, I love when people ask about Juicero. It's my favorite, <laughs> actually. Um, so I- I'm actually serious. I don't mind it. Juicero was like 700 bucks and Juicero... Yeah didn't do anything it squeezed liquid blended already out of a packet it wasn't actually juicing anything so i think from a hardware design it was really really over designed and it was way too expensive and the yeah. packets were like ten dollars a piece so it was insane the packets themselves were really good it tasted really good and actually the same people who worked on juicero also works on the Blendjet jetpack packets so I have a lot of knowledge from what happened to them. And I actually used to use their product. Not in my home, but I used to go to a restaurant in San Francisco that of course had a Juicero. So <laughs> I would order my juice and it would come out of this Juicero machine. So that's how I knew it. And I think uh, you know, we're thirty nine ninety five, right? I mean it's thirty nine ninety five at com. It's like pretty, pretty affordable for everybody. And that's the idea. I'm not trying to create something that's elite. I'm trying to create something that as many people as possible can have but I've had conversations with many many of the top tier people who I have so much respect for and I've said look I'll be honest with you I'm not actively raising but I'll talk to you because of who you are and I I just respect your portfolio and your track record and the, your wisdom but we're not looking to raise so how did you fund this John and I funded it ourselves in the beginning and then it's been profitable from the beginning we've just maintained profitability and we've scaled it to a very significant amount of revenue and we're now at the stage where we're still getting top tier vcs and private equity funds and now acquirers coming to us and wanting to buy the company we're not really ready to to sell but you know inevitably there will be a day in the future where some amazing giant you know brand that we have a ton of respect for comes along and says you know you'd be a great division of our of our company and you know we'd love to take this even further and i think If the right
0: opportunity presents itself, we would certainly have to consider it. The other question I had was around influencer marketing. I saw that, and her name escapes me now. Jen Jen, Selter. Jen Selter. She's on Instagram. She makes videos in um, tight-fitting aerobic (laughs) clothes, (laughs) doing all kinds of crazy exercises and, you know, the kind of the what you expect on Instagram. She has millions of followers. She and has she's,
1: 33 million across all her channels, and she's actually the originator of the fitness Instagram post. So, you know, seven or eight years ago, she started that trend and has continued to be one of the biggest fitness influencers.
0: And so how did, so, and she's listed as a co-owner. So I don't yeah. know if you gave her some equity in exchange for her promoting the product, but I'm I'm really fascinated by how powerful or not influencer marketing is. Very powerful. So 2018,
1: Blendjet was just getting off the ground. Holiday 2018, we had a list of influencers. We were just like, if we could have anybody we want, here's the people. And number one Mm. person on the list that we wanted was Jen Selter. And, you know, she does all these other brand promos. She's got a huge huge brand campaign that's about to come out right now with a major brand but at the time she had done sprint and she had done bb there was a billboard of her in times square you know there was no better influencer for us and we didn't reach out to her we got an email from her people saying hey this is jen selter's manager She loves your product. She uses it every day. She wants to talk to you guys and figure out there's ways she could be part of the brand. We were just like, is this a joke? This is crazy. So we talked to her. We actually go to New York. John and I, we fly to New York and we meet with her for dinner and like her whole entourage. And we visit the billboard of her in Times Square and we just really hit it off. And then we negotiate a deal and she becomes, you know, a co-owner, gets some equity in the company and becomes our global brand spokesperson and starts making content for us on her channel, on our channel, in ads, showing up at events. It's crazy. Like when we go to Fit Expo, Jen Selter will be like the headliner. Blengette will have like the biggest booth and the two biggest booths will be like Bang Energy and, you know, and blendjet, And then Jen Selter's there and we just have a line like around the booth, like wrapping around with like bodyguards near Jen Selter, And people just want, to have their blend jet signed by Jen Selter. They want to take a picture with her. They want to meet her. They, they want their her.
0: Blender signed.
1: It, Yeah, it, it's crazy. You know, that, the fanfare. That
0: is indeed crazy.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, that's the modern celebrity. And I've gotten to know Jen really well. And I think what it did very early on for us, and it was something that was really needed, is it gave us credibility. You know, when we were just like a startup with no funding and, you know, we were just getting our product off the ground. I mean, we had sold, I don't know, Probably when she called up, probably 75,000 units had been sold, something like that. And, you know, she reached out and then holiday season 2018, we just crushed. And, I mean, last holiday season, we were selling one Blendjet every five seconds on our website. Right. It's just unbelievable. And we do all of our own fulfillment, all all of our own shipping.
0: Is it? here do you have them here or as you say or they're they're built in china we do
1: it all here in concord that's where our headquarters is concord california just east of san francisco and uh we have you know as many as 60 people in our warehouse shipping out orders um every day so all our inventories here we make all the jet packs here in the u.s you know as much as i would love to make the blend jets all the u.s it's not possible because all the parts have to come is there
0: any issue given the our warm and fuzzy relationships with china
1: We're really fortunate that we haven't had any issues related to that. We
0: have a really strong supply
1: chain. We have a whole factory that is dedicated just to Blendjet over there. And, you know, we have a really close relationship with the owners of the factory. We're fortunate that the tariffs haven't had too much of an impact on us. It was crazy because actually they were going to. It was was like a Sunday night that they were supposed to kick in on Monday and it was going to be pretty bad. And then he canceled them that night.
0: When you say pretty bad, numbers-wise, what does that mean? Uh,
1: I think it was going to be 25% tariff. Right. That would have been very painful. I don't know what we would have done. I mean, we would have probably just... We would have tried to make it work, but ultimately, we probably would have had to raise the price or move manufacturing to a different country. You know? I don't know. It's a tough situation with our countries. You know, I would love to see a future where we can all just get along. That would be great.
0: That feels like that's a very remote possibility. At the
1: moment, <laughs> well, wishful
0: thinking. Lastly, how are you physically now?
1: I'm great. It took a long time, you know, and and actually, it took the distraction of blingette to uh, get my mind off. Because I would sit there when I was doing nothing, I would sit there and just feel the tiniest tingle in my body and go, "Oh, yeah, it's still happening to me." And it took a long time to start to ignore the minor differences because. It's kind of like the COVID situation, right? People say, back to normal. There is no such thing. And it's the same with my concussion, right? There is, there is no normal that I'm ever going to return to. I had a bad head injury. I caused damage to my brain. Fortunately, it didn't kill me. Fortunately, it didn't do damage that was permanent enough to impair core functions of my body or my brain. I am so lucky. I am so grateful. And this is an issue that, you know, needs more research to be done. You know, we we have modern medicine and we know so much about everything, but we know so little about the human brain. And there is this great foundation that I've been trying to help out, Concussion Legacy Foundation, which was started by someone who was a professional wrestler and got hurt. And had a concussion, and now mm. runs this, you know, organization. And they actually get brains donated by universities, and they dissect them and try to do research and and sort of map out different parts of the brain and figure out what's happening to people and treatment options. I wish I would have known about them when it happened because I would have called them and they would have said it's gonna. Here's what's gonna happen. Here's how it's gonna go. The the real problem is a lot of doctors just don't understand this stuff, and. They aren't taught about it and they just kind of dismiss it as, oh, you're having stress anxiety attacks. It's like, I don't, I don't think so. So I'm good. I hope this area of medicine is an area that gets more attention and more education. I think differently now about, I don't have kids yet, but when we do have kids, I'm going to be really worried about them playing sports. And, you know, I think about all these kids getting head injuries and stuff when they're young and I, it just terrifies me. You know, it's like, I'm as an adult. I had a terrible experience, but during that sort of developmental stage where your head is not as hard and your brain is still growing, you know, that's uh, that's a really scary thing to think about.
0: And I was just thinking as you were talking, and like your inspiration to do something different that would help people, etc. surely at some point you must have thought about giving Elon Musk a call to work on Neuralink or, you know, one of these uh, brain-computer interface startups, of which there are several.
1: There are. I might have sent him an email about Neuralink. He did not respond. Uh, <laughs> I actually had a meeting with Elon scheduled one time, which was for uh, Meta, yeah. and I go to Tesla, and I, of course I drive there in my Tesla, and I'm the biggest Tesla fanboy ever, right? I mean, I bought the stock when it was at $27 when everyone said, you're smoking crack, I love Tesla. So for me, it was like, I mean, it was like going to meet Steve Jobs, right? I mean, to me, I love Elon. I know his brother from TED. So I got to know Kimball and he was super helpful.
0: Kimball has been on this podcast. He's great. Yeah.
1: Super awesome guy. Super fun. And I was so excited to meet Elon. And then he just didn't show up to the meeting because he got busy with something else. So it happens. But yeah, then Neuralink, I I did reach out and say, hey, you know, I would love to hear more and help you out. But I mean, you know. He doesn't need me. He's good. He's got it covered. I actually know one other person who's doing this. I haven't talked to him in many years, but uh, Brian Johnson, he was the founder of Braintree. And then he sold it to PayPal. And then he used his own money, $100 million of his own money to fund Kernel, which is creating human computer brain implants. Right. I knew Brian when it was a startup and I became his customer but didn't really become a big customer until Blendjet. We haven't stayed in touch, although he does owe me a steak dinner, which he promised me, but I'm vegan, so I probably wouldn't take it. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I followed what he's done, and he's been doing this since before Elon has. Yeah, yeah. And I know people that still know him, and I hear he's making a lot of very exciting progress. I actually tried something under NDA during my meta days. I might have mentioned to you before, which I still can't say what it was, but essentially I tried like a device that I could wear that would, I could think a letter and it would read, show yeah, me the kind letter. read
0: your thoughts, yeah.
1: And now there's stuff, there's articles being written about this stuff now. Yeah. I mean, I see research is coming out, you know, publicly saying that this stuff exists. I mean, clearly that paired with AR, oh man, that's going to be exciting. I really think Elon is right about the, the biggest problem we have between humans and the physical world or, or the digital world is the bandwidth, right? The bandwidth of communication between digital and, and brain is is very low. You know, a keyboard and a mouse and a screen versus being able to think thoughts and have those control things. I feel that we could all be a lot more productive and, and get answers to our questions even faster. And I think what it really, the bare minimum is it gives everybody like super intelligence. You know the answer to every question instantly as long as you trust Google's
0: answer. Because you have instant access to Wikipedia in your
1: brain. Yeah, I mean, we're going to have that. I mean, we're very close to that right now, but we're going to have it even more when we can just think it and then it comes to us. I mean, I look forward to that, but I also, I will say the accident kind of also made me just appreciate what it is to be human as it is today. So I am excited about these technologies, but I also do see the dark side of removing humanity. And I I and that's something we used to talk about at Meta. We used to say like, "Oh, you know, like we want to make the computing experience more human." And that was that was true. We had real neuroscientists on staff who were trying to figure out how to do that.
0: So you're not looking in your palm, you're looking up at the world while you're computing in one way or another.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and I I think that there's a way that the future of computing can not take away from the human experience but there's a much easier way that it could and i do worry what the future will be like you know and and i mean mark zuckerberg said a long time ago privacy's dead right and i do feel that way i do feel like you know especially when we're all walking around with computers on our faces with all these sensors you know the idea that you have any sort of privacy is uh, is now fiction even at our own homes.
0: I mean, I don't know about you, but I have an Alexa in every room. I went to some Google event and they gave us a Google Home and I, we turned it on for about a week and my wife was like, turn that thing off. Because it would like kind of ask you things when you weren't talking to it. And it was, there's, you know, stories about, well, it's actually kind of listening all the time, but maybe just listening for the, you know, the, the wake word or whatever. It just, it was a little too creepy.
1: I feel you. I get it. For me, I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice the privacy for the convenience. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure that's a fair trade,
0: but... It's the trade everybody's making in one form or another.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you have a ring doorbell, right? And everybody knows who comes in and out of your house. I think the realization that people kind of freaked out about is, uh, oh, whoa, there's people listening to all of the things that we said and transcribing them and correcting the AI that's predicting what we're saying. Like, that's terrifying. As a little kid, this is such a weird thing. As a little kid, you know the little sensors on the... I mean, I was like three years old. The little sensor on the toilet that makes it flush. Yeah. I thought, as like a three-year-old, and I remember this because it used to freak me out. I thought that someone was watching. (laughs) I know, it's ridiculous. But obviously, I learned quickly that wasn't true. But that's essentially what's happening now. For sure. And we're all just like, well... Eh, it's okay. I'll let it happen. Exactly. It's okay, I guess. I'll live with it because I can wake up at 1130 when I'm almost asleep and realize, oh my God, I need more toilet paper and say, Alexa, order more toilet paper. And then when I wake up, it's at my door.
0: I know. It's wild. These are strange, strange (laughs) times we live in. Well, look, I appreciate you taking the time and for sharing a pretty wild story. And I'm glad you're feeling, feeling better and doing something that you dig.
1: I appreciate it, and I appreciate the opportunity to to reconnect. And you're actually the only person I've told the story to in this way. I've been saving it for somebody good, so I appreciate the opportunity to uh, reconnect Amen. and and you know share the airwaves with great minds, you know, like Kimball. Indeed, I, I think that um, now more than ever, we all just got to do whatever we can to try to stay healthy. And you know, just one of my good friends, uh, Adam Shire, who's actually the creator of Siri. Oh yes, I interviewed him many moons ago. But yes, yeah. Amazing guy, huge inspiration to me. You know, somebody that always has like great wisdom to impart. During the beginning of COVID, he said to me, You know, Ryan, you just got to find a little bit of joy in each day. And I was like, Wow, simple, but profound. And it's true. And I think I'm used to it. I'm comfortable with it now. I can work from home. I've got enough space. But I think for anybody, you know, who struggles through a time like this, there's something good in every day. You just got to look for it, find it, focus on it. And uh, I think it's made this time a lot more enjoyable than it could be if my perspective wasn't sort of looking for that joy.
0: Yeah. Some days are harder than others to find that joy. But um, I agree. Well, look, stay well. And um, we'll be keeping an eye on the, on the the Blendjet story. But I'm sure we'll speak again soon.
1: I'm sure we will. Thank All you right. so much for having me.
0: Yeah, no worries. And that is all the time we have. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Ryan for taking the time and really taking this through, obviously, a very personal and painful and, as I said, kind of an inspiring story. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you, there were some nuggets that you guys could extract from that. I know I did. And that is it for another week. I'll be writing about a whole bunch of different stuff, including, believe it or not, TikTok. Writing about TikTok this weekend. So if you uh, haven't got enough TikTok content, which I'm sure you haven't, do check that out. It'll be in the Sunday Times online at thetimes.co.uk. You can find me on the Twitters at Danny Fortson or email me danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk. That is it for me this week. Stay safe, stay sane, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.